0: You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. You know, one of my favorite words when dealing with any kind of a project is clarity. Anybody need clarity on things? Like, I like to know what's going to happen before it happens. Or if you just tell me that we're going to do this, I need to know a little bit more about why we're going to do this. And there are probably some reasons for that. Like, number one, I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to show up unprepared. Like, I need to know. So I remember specifically in K-5, it was Halloween. Now, what do you do on Halloween? You dress up. Nobody told me that you weren't supposed to dress up at school. I was the only kid in the entire school that dressed up like Fred Flintstone all day, walking around like a weirdo, celebrating Halloween, because there was zero clarity in the conversation. I think it was the mark of that day that ever since, all I wanted was just some clarity to understand what we're supposed to be doing. And and clarity brings a lot of peace, it brings a lot of ease, but it also gives us a direction, it gives us a lot of, of understanding on the direction that we need to be going, and Sometimes we want to see the full picture of what God's trying to do. But a lot of times, He just gives us a puzzle piece at a time. And most times, we don't even get the box to the puzzle piece to be able to see if it's lining up. So clarity is a big deal. Understanding the instructions that when somebody gives you, getting the specific things that need to happen. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus invites the disciples back to Galilee, he's, he's been crucified, he's risen from the dead, he's shocked a few people, you might be able to say, he goes back up into the region of Galilee, he spends 40 days, now he's back in Jerusalem, he's invited these disciples to make the seven day journey back to Jerusalem, and here they stand on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is speaking to them for the last time, there were some people we know from scripture, Matthew 28 tells us that some people doubted, That he still was who he said he was, but even through their doubts, they still followed to still worship, to still try to figure this whole thing out of what Jesus had lived and what he had taught. And they're trying to to do all these things. So even through their doubts and their misunderstandings, they're still finding a reason to worship and still hang in there to try to figure this thing out. And so as they're all gathered on this hillside, Jesus gives them what, what we now know as the Great Commission. He, he gives them last instructions, and He gives them a lot of clarity. And I think sometimes, when we hear the Great Commission, that we have heard it so many times that we just take it for granted, and we never really break it down to get true clarity of what Jesus meant in His words. Because to these These disciples and these followers that were there on that hillside that day, it was a a starting point for them of what they were supposed to do. Because their their teacher, their rabbi, their friend was going to leave them. And he was going to go up into the sky and he was going to be done and out. And Jesus had promised that when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. He will fill you to do the works that, that I've empowered you and want you to do. So that brings us to Matthew chapter 28 we start in verse 19 today but he, he says this is this, again this is a personal instruction this isn't just for the church as a whole this, this so, so this is personal responsibility everybody got that? This is my job as a follower of Jesus this is your job as a follower of Jesus and when we corporately come together as a church then it is our job as a a body of a church but this is what Jesus says these are his last words to these these people on the hillside that day. He says, go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. Everywhere. Now, let me, let me help you. It doesn't mean that you have to get on an airplane to go make disciples. Okay? It might mean that you just need to look over the fence into the other neighbor's yard and have a conversation. It could be the person that works in that cubicle right next to you. It could be the cashier at your store. I mean... When we talk about nations, really, if we wanted to fine-tune this thing down, what Jesus is really saying is that you go make disciples everywhere. Everywhere you make it. Matter of fact, the way that this reads in the Greek is as you are going through your everyday life, you make disciples. So he says, you go and you make disciples of all nations. And then he gives us these commands. He says, you go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son... And of the Holy Spirit. So when people ask, why do we do baptism? Well, that was part of Jesus' last instructions. He says we do baptism, it's an ordinance that we do to show commitment to the following of Jesus. And he says, so we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us this, teaching them. Now, this is a part that we always leave off for some reason. We don't really give a whole lot of focus. But he says this, that we teach them to observe all that I, Jesus. He's saying, so you teach them everything That I have commanded them. Teach them to observe these things, to study these things, to know these things, all these things that I have commanded you. And this was the peaceful part. He says, and and behold, I'm with you always. I know that I'm leaving, but I'm still with you. Because just because my physical body is not here, I'm still with you in spirit. And this is the final words for Jesus. Jesus. He's given them these instructions because they're kind of at a moment where they're going, well, now what? Now what do we do? I mean, we, we've had this great journey these last three years of ministry with you. We've watched you heal people. We've watched you walk on water. We've heard your teachings. we sat at your feet just, just waiting on the next words that were coming from you. But now what? And Jesus says, here's your now what. Your now what is you're going to go and make disciples. In other words, Jesus was saying, everything that I've taught you, and everything that you have seen, I want you to mimic those very things. I want you to become like me and live out these values and be obedient to the teachings that I've given you and go share that with other people that aren't on this hillside today. And I want you to disciple people. And when Jesus told them, by the way, that they're going to go make disciples of all nations, we're talking about disciples who grew up in Israel. They've never been outside of Israel before. Many of them, the only time they ever got out of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, the only time they ever got out was to come to Passover once a year in Jerusalem. That was the furthest. So when Jesus said nations, they were like, wait, what? And then we see people like Paul that come into the picture that would end up bringing the gospel to Europe. Like this is part of the nations. So our job is to make disciples. Now I want you to understand that in this passage... Make disciples is the central verb. Okay, we're going to get back to English class. Any, any English people in here who did really well? All right. How many math people? Yeah, y'all the ones that messed the curve up. Thanks a lot. So, in, in the passage, the verb is make disciples. This is the Great Commission. So, everything else, everything else, going, teaching, Baptizing, those are all extensions of go and make disciples. So when we're told to make disciples, that is the main thing. Because what he's saying here is, this is what you do. Here's an extension of those things. When you make disciples, well, you're baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When you're making disciples, you're teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded. So, So what he's saying is that... We make disciples, and when we do that, there's an extension of what that looks like. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask two questions today, and we're going to use Scripture to answer these. So here's your first question. What is a disciple? Now, I guarantee that if we went through this room, we're going to have about four or five different answers to that, maybe even more than that. I find it interesting that, that I'll hear pastors talking about disciples, and I'll ask them to define what that is, and we will have completely different answers. Um, because I don't, I don't know that if we've used Scripture enough to define what a disciple is. Because a lot of people would say that a disciple is a Christian. Well, can I tell you, that's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. When churches say we're all about disciples because they have Sunday school, that's not a disciple. We're going to answer that question in just a minute of what is a disciple. Here's the other thing. What is your role in the disciple making process yes if you are a follower of Jesus guess what you have a role and Jesus just told you what your final instruction was because that instruction that was for them that day has been passed on to us we have a role in this whole process so what we're going to do is is we're going to study what a disciple is and what the role is so let's start with the, the first question what is a disciple what is a disciple In the Hebrew language, which is the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Aramaic and and Greek. In the Hebrew language, the word disciple appears as the word uh, talmid, talmid, okay? And and a disciple was a talmudim, And so a talmid was a student of the word, talmid, student of the word. Now, what a talmid would do was they would go and find a rabbi, a teacher, that they are like, you know, I agree with his teachings, I like the way he teaches, I'm going to become one of his disciples, I'm going to sit under his teaching. Now, the way that would work was that, that Talmudin, that, that student would have to come and ask permission to follow that rabbi, and the rabbi would quiz them to find out how well they knew the scriptures, and if he felt that they knew the scriptures well, then what they would say was this, they would say, You know the scriptures very well. I would love for you to come and follow me and sit underneath my teachings. Now, if you didn't pay enough attention in the Jewish school system, because by the time you were 12 years old in the Hebrew school system, you should be able to quote and memorize the entire Old Testament by memory. I can't remember my phone number half the time. And here they are remembering and knowing exactly where things are. And here's a shocking thing. There were no chapters and verses in the early scriptures. Okay, Can you imagine if I said, hey, we're going to look at uh, Matthew. If, you, if you'll count down to like 45 different words and then go down three different sections and go over, we need, to, we need to go to like page 900. So if you guys will count, we'll get to the sermon here in about four hours. Okay, So they didn't have all that. They just knew it from memory. And when they would go to the rabbi, and if the rabbi was like, hey, you know some stuff, but you don't know some stuff. So this is not going to work for you. So what they would tell that That person wanted to come be a disciple. Hey, why don't you just go home, take up your father's business, whatever your father's trade is, you go and work in that field. And as you're working in that field and you're doing the things of your father, maybe God will allow you to have lots of kids, and one of those kids could become a disciple of a rabbi. They were the rejects. Now, you ready for this? What was Peter? Was he a disciple before he was a disciple? He was a fisherman. That was what his father did. John, Andrew, Matthew, they were all working different jobs, different professions. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. They were not good enough to be in the school of rabbis. They were the rejects. And now who did Jesus go and pick? The rejects. The ones that knew that they couldn't do it by themselves, the ones that had the flaws, the ones that had the issues, the ones that were the outcasts. This is why the rabbis were really ticked off with Jesus, because he was eating with sinners. (gasps) But that's what he was doing, because these were the people that he was coming to reach. This is why he told Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. On these people, these broken, flawed, messed up people, I will build my church. On them. Because you know what you get when you build a church on broken people? You get a church that honors God. Because when you realize that you've hit rock bottom and the only thing you have is Jesus, then the only thing you want is Jesus. And that's who gets all your attention and that's who gets all the glory. And these were the people that Jesus went after. These were students. Now, they just didn't sit and study the Bible. Bible memorization, Bible study. Hear me out. Super important. Should be doing it. But there's another piece to this, and this is where it changes you from being a Christian to being an actual disciple, is when you take those principles, those things that you're learning, and you apply them to your everyday life, living those out, and teaching other people how to do that. That's what a disciple is. It's not about how much knowledge that you know. I know a lot of people that know a lot of knowledge about the Scripture, and their theology is about two miles wide, but their obedience is about two inches thick. And that's not what Jesus is looking for. He is looking for obedience to live out, because he says that we make disciples, we baptize, and we observe the teachings. Like, observe is an important word here. That means that we, we literally study, think on, meditate on these words, not just read over them and go, okay, well, I got it. We think through the process of how this, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And then what do I need to do with this? I call them, uh, I call them obedience points. Like when I read passages and I'll say, what is, what is the Holy Spirit asking me to be obedient to in the Scripture? What is my obedience point? I don't ever want to get up from a time in the Scripture without knowing what my next step is from the Holy Spirit. So all I think it's a great question to ask in your readings of Scripture, what is the obedience point here? What is the Bible asking me to do? And how am I going to do that? And and how you're going to do that is a very important thing because that's what carries that from being an understanding, an educational piece to actually being a place of obedience, okay? Because a lot of times people come to church and they want to hear the gospel and they want to hear the Bible, but that's where it stops. And that's not what we are at Together Church. We believe that what we do right here should affect everything we do outside these walls. You agree with me? Everything. Come on, you can be better than that. You know everything that we do here should affect everything outside of these walls. That's a disciple. It's, it's one that is not simply someone who wants to know what Jesus taught. It's one that wants to do exactly the things that Jesus did. It's obedience. So our metric as a church, right, is not just to measure in attendance. Like We, we, don't, we really don't care about attendance. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I never count to see how many people are here. I don't know. You're here. It doesn't matter. Because I'm not going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to go, all right, i got a different question for you because you're a pastor. What was your attendance like in in year 2020? I don't know. Because he's not going to ask that question. You know what he's going to ask? How were your disciples? Did you make disciples? Were people replicating? Were people multiplying? Or, or, Or are you just in it for the weekend just to have people show up and do a ritual and, and, and leave. Like, we're not in it for the number of attenders that come here. We, we believe that our church wins when people are replicating what we're, what we're talking about and what we're teaching and what's happening in your small group, and those conversations are going to other people and disciples are being made. Okay? And, and not, not converts. Okay? Disciples. Right? We are focused more on the disciple than we are the convert. Because you can raise your hand and say that you made a decision today. But the Holy Spirit is the only one that will confirm that. And he will confirm that through you being discipled, Because we do not save people. Right? Okay? We do not save people. There is nothing that I will say today that will save you. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about salvation in your life. We clear on that piece? This is raw today because I typically preach my iPad, but I wrote all my notes out today, so I feel really discombobulated. But a disciple is one that is determined to live these things out, and that's what we want as a church. We, we want you not just to learn; we want you to live this out. That's the passion. Uh, Alice and I were riding back from vacation this week, and I told her that she said, "What it, define success as a church?" I said, "I feel like it's successful." When we see replication happening and people are not inviting people to church, they're having discipleship conversations with other people. Like, they're teaching them. They're observing the teachings. They're teaching other people. Baptisms are happening. This is the success of the kingdom. Because all if you're doing those things, you know who's being pointed to? Jesus. Not man. We were never called to build churches. Think about that. We were never called to build churches. As a matter of fact, people ask us about being a church plant. We're not really a church plant. We're just a continuation of a movement that started in the book of Acts. We are a movement. Discipleship is a movement. Jesus said our job was to go and do what? Make disciples, not build a church. Because he says to Peter, I will build my church. I will do the building, my man. You do the discipleship part, I'll handle the building. I'll build people up. I'll bring who needs to be here. And and I strongly believe more than anything, like there's a lot of hills that you got to choose if you're going to die on those hills. I will die on this hill. But I believe that the Holy Spirit directs the steps of man. And he will bring here who needs to bring here. And he will put in your path the people that you need to talk to. What he's asking us to do is to have spirit eyes and spirit ears to see and to hear where he is at work. So, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who... Not just observes and hears the word, they take it in, they process it, they find their points of obedience, they live it out, and they begin telling other people about those obedience points and living it out with them. So, this is the Great Commission. We, we say it this way we, we sum it up. Like, we have a mission for our church. We don't really have a vision because Jesus has already given us the vision, so we don't have a fancy vision statement because He said, Go and make disciples. We just say that we have a mission statement, and we took what Jesus said and just put it in some simpler terms, and we say that our church exists to introduce people to Jesus and together help them follow him. In other words, we're going to make disciples of all nations, and we're going to teach people to that's the follow them part, is teaching people to observe, to baptize them. Those are the simplistic things that, that we do as a church body. This is our great commission. This is a central calling for every follower of Jesus. This is not just... I'm a part of the church, and our church does it, and I don't have to. No, this is a personal responsibility that we have to take responsibility for, okay? And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. So what we want to do is we want to see people that are reproducing. There is no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian, because there's no way that you can come into the presence of Jesus and not want to talk about that with somebody else, okay? Did that come off harsh? There's no way to be a follower of Jesus and not reproduce, because... If you know where you were and you know what he's done, you can't help but talk about it. You can't help but live out. When you read the scriptures, and I read that I was dead and Jesus came and, and he resurrected me to give me this life and life more abundant than anything I ever could ever ask or imagine. And God just wants to bless and use me to point people to him. I can't help but talk about those things. can't help but want to live those things out. So, You've you, you got to be a, a Christian that is reproducing because if you're following Jesus, listen, if you're following Jesus, Jesus is making you into that. He's making you into that person. And, and, and if you're sitting here right now and going, well, I don't feel that and I don't have that, this is not for you to feel guilty and like you are all messed up and, and you're lost and Jesus doesn't love you. That's not what we're saying. What we're doing is sometimes we've got to get a little heart check to find out where are my motives. Where are my motives? And maybe, maybe you've been taught wrong. Maybe you've been taught wrong. Maybe you grew up in a a theology that was not healthy. Maybe you grew up, shocker, grew up in a theology that wasn't biblical. It surprises me, the people that following teachings of people. And if you just read the Bible, it's very clear that what they're teaching doesn't add up to what the Bible says. But this is what we've done in our our culture, is that we make disciples by over-educating people to the point they don't feel like they need to be obedient because they know it but then they don't, they don't live it out. And we're all guilty of that. I know I am, especially at traffic jams. Look at John 15, 8. He says, by this, by this, my Father is glorified. My Father is praised. My Father is honored. My Father is proud. He says, by this, my Father is glorified. This is what God's glorified in. He's glorified that you bear much fruit. And what does this fruit prove? That you're his disciple. See, because when you're with Jesus, you're reproducing. And you're reproducing these fruits that Paul would go on to say are the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that are naturally coming out. And these are the things that you're naturally producing. So if you want to prove that you're a disciple, the way that you would prove that you're a disciple is by bearing fruit. Because living organisms produce. Living organisms Produce. This is why we say in, in our network of, of churches that we, we are multiplying churches. Like we, we really value discipling and teaching people to be obedient to the word and then talking about that and sharing what they know with somebody else because we want to see churches multiply in a healthy way and multiplication only happens through that of the Holy Spirit. You ha- the Holy Spirit is the driver of disciple making. You understand? It's the driver because you can't go force conversations. If the Holy Spirit is the only one that can initiate salvation... Right? We can't force it for somebody to do it. And if we do force it and use emotions and get people all sad and whatever they do to start crying, and then I got to give my life to Jesus, and then three weeks later they're right back to normal, we didn't do anything. It's, it's, so we got to allow the Holy Spirit to use the words and hear what He's asking us to do. So we bear fruit. That's what He says to do. If you, if you want to glorify God, you bear fruit because that shows that you are a disciple. Robert Coleman it wrote a book, I think it was like 1965, on discipleship. But he says this, that the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts, nor to teach them the precepts of Christ, but to make disciples. To build men like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only followed Jesus themselves, but they led others to follow him too. What is he saying? Robert Coleman saying, listen... We should be so constrained by what we're reading and by what we're studying that we want to speak this to other people. It's not about large budgets. It's not about large churches. It's not about large buildings. What it's about is large hearts that have a capacity to hold all the things that Jesus wants them to do and then live those things out in obedience. Is this making any sense to you? Okay. So this is, this is the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so what's the method of a disciple-making process you are the method. And you're probably thinking, well, I don't have any training. I didn't go to seminary. Like, I, I I, still have to use the table of contents to find pieces of Scripture. Can I tell you a secret? I do too sometimes. You ever tried to find Malachi? That thing's hidden, right? It's like, where did Jude go? You, you at least could have expounded on the book of Jude to make it easier to find, right? And so... You don't have to have it all together. As a matter of fact, if you feel like that you don't have it all together, you are the perfect candidate for Jesus. Because he loves people like us. Because we understand that there's nothing that we can do. That we recognize everything that we have comes from him. So this is, this is your role. Jesus said that it wasn't about your natural ability to do this. It's not about your natural ability. It is about your availability to that that the Holy Spirit calls you to. So it's not about your natural ability. It's about availability. God, I will do anything that you want me to do. Show me the way. Show me what I need to do. Show me what conversations you want me to have today. Put it on my radar. I want to know. I want to know. So the Holy Spirit's the driving force. You know, you might not be able to preach you you might not be able to to write a biblical commentary. You you might have a hard time putting words together. I don't know. But it's it's your availability to the Holy Spirit of what He's called you to do. That's that's what we do, right? Because then in that, you're, I mean, what did Paul say? He said in our weakness he was strong. It's in our weaknesses that God works. It's in our weaknesses that because if we're working and operating out of our weakness, then people know it's not us and they can only point to one thing, and that one thing is Jesus. So Real quick, he says that there, there are five, Jesus, when he tells him to observe the teachings, what he's doing, there's really five things. There's five identities of a disciple. There's five identities of a disciple. I want to briefly go through these five things, and we're going to expound on these some more as, as the weeks go by, but if, if we're going to be a movement of replicating, okay, and, and when we talk about replicating, our, our heart is spiritual growth over numerical growth. Because if you start worrying about numerical growth, then you build a church on consumers, and consumers want what they want and not what Jesus wants for them, and we do an injustice to people when we offer them a consumeristic church. Because then when life falls apart, they have no theology to wrap around that to kind of get any kind of comprehension, and they have no idea where God is, and guess what they do? They walk away from it. And They walk. And this is why the church in, in America is at a fast rate decline. Because people haven't been taught the scripture and putting it into practice. Again, this is the hill that I'm willing to die on today. So, we say this. Uh, core, core identity number one of a disciple is a disciple is a worshiper. You're a worshiper. A disciple seeks to know, love, and obey God above all else. Everything starts with Worship recognizing not just in singing but in your in your life like are you what is your worship like when it's you and God in your scriptures are you are you worshipping God everywhere that he is are we acknowledging where he's at and just being thankful and grateful for the things that God's done in your life now, as a disciple when we when in the scriptures this should be pushing us to naturally be a worshipper we should want to even if you sing out a key and it's about singing you want to sing and you're like well I'm not a great singer it doesn't matter god's not listening to your voice he's listening to your heart because it's it's an overflow it's it's where your heart is and what you what you what you're saying so if you're a disciple then you're a worshiper and and so that goes for for your posture before God and, and before before him in every aspect of life it also goes it goes to church attendance it, it goes back to church attendance too because In your daily time with God, these are places that you worship. We gather here on the weekend to corporately worship together. And sometimes it's good to know that somebody beside us has gone through, been through, going through the same things that we have, and they know what God did in their life, and they share that with us. And this this time that we have together should strengthen us and should equip us to do the work of the ministry, okay? Sunday morning church is made to be equipped and to encourage. And then you can throw this element in it, too. There are people that come into our doors for the first time that don't know Jesus that God has spiritual conversations waiting for you to have. This is why it is so vital to get outside of your comfort zone and talk to people that you don't know in this place. It's not about welcoming them because we want them to come back because the more people that come back, the bigger the skip. No, because you might be the one that God's assigned to speak with them. He might have something that you need to say to them. But you gotta get outside that comfort zone and just say, hey, shake a hand, pat a back. Maybe not, maybe not pat a back yet. You might not be there. Uh, they they, They may never come back at that point. Just just be a Christian, a loving Christian. Okay? So you need to be a worshiper. You need to be a family member. An identity is being a family member. Like a disciple is not just a believer. You're also a belonger. Like we we're a family here. When we celebrate, we celebrate together. When one has success, we celebrate success together. When people are going through hard times, and we, we journey with them through the hard times, not just there to send a flower and walk off. We, we walk with them and journey with them through the processes. No matter if it's a high mountaintop experience or a low valley, we are a family as a, as a body. And when you become a part of the church, you should, you're understanding that you're coming apart. Of the family. And I'll just tell you this that when you become a family member, sometimes the church family feels a lot more like family than the normal family. I mean, I can tell you in a, in a small group, there are family in there. There are people that I love, that care for me deeply, and will call me on my junk in a heartbeat you're not, that your life doesn't look like Jesus right now. I mean, that's family. They're also there to encourage and text and love and, and care. You're, you're a family member. The church is not an event, it's a community. We, we've botched that word church. The church is a community, it's a gathering of believers. We are the church together and individually. We represent the church. And of course, every family has a couple of crazies, but it's fun. It's fun. So it's not just an event, it's a community, it's a family. It's a place that you feel like you you really do belong. You're not just a number on a spreadsheet. You're a person with a heartbeat. We know who you are. We care. We want to know who you are. We want you to know the Jesus that's inside of us. We want you to get to know our Jesus in in us because he wants to know you. And so a, a, a disciple is a family member. And your family member, you can't just show up once in a while and just catch a podcast every once in a while. Like a family, you're here and you're with each other. Church attendance is important. It's important for your spiritual growth. Hear me on that. It is important for your spiritual growth to be around family. Being in a together group is important because it is important and vital to your spiritual growth. And I'll say this, and this may shock some of you. If you can't come to Sunday services... You need to be in a small group for sure and never miss your small group. Because I believe that God's doing more work in small groups than he does on Sunday services. It's really quiet in here. Because you haven't heard a pastor say that, have you? Because the heartbeat is not attendance. The heartbeat is getting you into a place to where the Holy Spirit will work in you. And sometimes that happens best in a small group. And it's just what what it is. Okay? We've always said together... There may be a day that we don't have a Sunday service. It may just be that we just eventually just have all small groups that are, that are doing it, okay? That's not today, by the way. We're, we're still on the same train, we still meet. We still do this because we still find value in corporately gathering and worshiping together. But what I'm saying is you need to be in a place to where you're part of the family, that people can love and care for you and love you and know, because you're not just gonna stand in here and begin pouring out all the problems that you're dealing with in here. That would be a, a, that would be a really bad decision. Uh, because everybody's going to be opened up to your problems, and we live stream, so everybody online now has that too, inclu- including people that are all over the world. But you can get in this together group and get people that you know and trust and build relationship with and share those things, and they can help you journey together through this process. So you, a disciple um, not only believes, a disciple belongs. Here's the other thing, you're a servant. A disciple gladly gives of themselves. They give of themselves. How, how, I mean, I'm available. What do you want? How can how can I how can I be used? Not just, and when we say that, we automatically think church setting. Okay? I don't want you thinking church setting right now. I want you thinking everyday life. How, How can I be a servant to other people that I encounter every day? How can I be a servant to people every day? How can I serve people? Jesus said that He came, He came to serve. He came to serve people, He modeled this to the least of these. He was with the people that nobody else wanted him to be around. He picked the rejects to be his disciples because he wanted to be a servant. And we'll talk more about that here in a couple of weeks. The the other thing is that an identity of a disciple is is steward. How do you use your resources? I mean, are we stewarding our resources? What are we we doing with the things that God has entrusted to us to help his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom? His kingdom. What are we doing with those things? I mean, we automatically think of cash flow, like giving financially. But it's not always giving. You might have a grill, and you can cook the best burger in the world. And you can go and help people and reach people by using your grill. You may have a big front yard. That might be the new football field for the neighborhood kids to come and play, and you minister to them. What do you have that you could steward for the kingdom. You might have giftings in cooking. You might have giftings in mechanics. You might have whatever your gifting is. Right? If anybody has like IT giftings, come holler at me, because I, I keep messing ours up constantly. Um, I don't ever remember my passwords, ever. Anybody else have that problem? Okay. Okay, I feel better, so I'm not the only one, but I can't, I'll, I'll change it, and it's like, you changed this three days ago. No, I, I didn't change this three. Oh, I did. What did I change it to? So I don't know. One, two, three, four doesn't work. So we're being good stewards, right? A disciple will come to a point where they say, God, all these things that I have is yours. Everything financially I have, everything material that I have, all these things are yours. And and I don't mind loaning things out. And if they never come back, then they never come back. You know, I'll just pray for that person's soul. But if if it can be used and God can get glory for it and it's going to bring people into kingdom, then everything that I have is his that's being a good steward. That's a disciple. And here's the last identifier. And these are all things that Jesus taught, by the way. We're just hitting them real, real high. He, he says that you're, you're a witness. You're a witness. Each disciple recognizes that it is his or her responsibility to make disciples. That you are a witness of the things that you have seen and experienced. I can't share your story. Only you can share your story of what Jesus has done for you. And I can't I can't come and tell you that your story is wrong because it wasn't my experience. It's what you lived and what you witnessed. It's the Jesus of what he did in your life, and, and you're a witness to that thing. I, I can't explain it, but this is where I was before Jesus, and this is how I came to know Jesus, and this is where I am now with Jesus. That's how you share testimony, by the way, and he could be that quick because you're a witness to all the things that he's done. Jesus said in Matthew four nineteen, he said, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In other words, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you a disciple maker. I'm going to make you a witness because all you got to do is take the things that you've seen, you've heard, you've learned, and share those things. So what is your role in the disciple-making process? Is to teach people these five things. How to be a worshiper. How to be a worshiper. Teach them about what true family is, what the family of God is. How, how we don't just believe, we belong. Like, we're, we're, we're truly family, or, or what it means to be a servant, because they may not understand why you do some of the things you do, or in just the way that you steward your things. Like, I notice every time you ask, you always let me borrow something, let somebody else borrow something, and they don't give it back. It's like, whatever, no big deal, right? Like, I, I've gotten to the practice that if I read a really good book, I'll buy a second book so I can give it to somebody. I'm still learning to give the book away that I have, the original copy, but I'm still, God's working on my heart there. People just take my books all the time, and then I feel like I've lost something. But just like Jesus, our lives are going to be characterized by just sharing and sharing the gospel. There, there's no such thing as someone who follows Jesus and not actively attempting to bring other people to him. This doesn't mean that you've got to be a creeper. This doesn't mean that you've got to make people feel uncomfortable. You, you don't go to lunch today and look at the waitress and say, hey, so if you died right now, where are you going to go? Like, don't do that. And if you do, don't tell them you're from this church. Just name another random church out there, but don't tell them you're from here. But it is okay to ask and say, hey, we're about to pray over our food. Can we just pray for you real quick? And if you're not comfortable with that, here's a very simple thing. Learn their name and call them by name. Call them. I don't think we understand the power in that, of calling people by their name, because it helps people feel like you care. You cared enough just to learn even a simple thing of their name and you can be a witness to Jesus that way because I can promise you there are a bunch of Christians that go to restaurants every Sunday and they're hateful and they don't leave very good tips. Right? I, I encountered some pretty hateful ones and I worked at Bilo as a bag boy. Are you going to put my eggs right there? I'm about to throw these eggs at you is what I'm about to do because I didn't go to church today. I'm working here on Sunday. Chick-fil-A was closed. So you're going to get this egg one way or another. But anyway, we witness. Not in that way, of course, but We witness. Those are things you just think you don't actually do. So this is the essence of what we would call the five core identities of a disciple. This is, this is what it is. And, and this means that you would teach people. So your role is to make disciples, and to make them is the role. And the role is, are you teaching people how to do these five things? Are you teaching them how to be a witness? Are you teaching them? Like, and these can be just casual conversations with people that you meet. And once you meet with them once, and you say, hey, can we meet again? I'd love to take you back out for coffee. And, and by just buying them coffee, by the way what are you teaching them stewardship serving just, just want to help you just want to just want to have coffee with you it's, it's totally fine you know I always like to not let people when we go to things like that is not let people pay the bill like just try to pay the bill this is the essence of a disciple and these are what this is what we've been called and, and I want us to understand this discipleship cannot be done alone it can't be done alone it only happens in community so I'll ask you a few questions is are you a disciple are you living these values of what God's called you are you living those things out follow up with that are are you playing your part in the role of a disciple maker are you teaching people these things and are you teaching them how to share those with other people that's replication, that's multiplication. And this is what Jesus did. He sent his disciples out in groups of two. He said, go into the towns, go and share all that you've seen, all that you've done. And they brought back 72. They multiplied. They didn't have any education. And I'm, by the way, when I say that, I, I do believe that if you hold the, the title of pastor, you need to have some type of education. Let me just verify that. Uh, that's, I think that's scripture. Um, I got to figure out where I was now because I got hung up on that point. You you, you send people out, God multiplies, God uses you. These disciples didn't have anything but the Holy Spirit and the word of their testimony. That's all they had. And they changed the world. And all we have is the word of our testimony and the Holy Spirit. Those two things change the world. We don't need full auditoriums. We don't need massive budgets. We don't need hazers and lights and $50,000 LED screen. We don't need that. All we need is the Holy Spirit and the word of our testimony. And if we can be content in those things, I promise you, ministry is beautiful. It's beautiful. Because we don't have to worry about anything but Jesus. So I want to pray for you. And we're going to follow up on this conversation and and, and dig into some more of these these five things just to to work through as as a church. But God, we know our mission. We know what those those last instructions are that you've given us work. We know what we're supposed to do. And um, God, now we're without excuse because we know these are the things that you've called us to do. So I just pray that we would be the best disciple that we can be, that we would be underneath the teachings of your word, and that we would be meeting with someone because we know that you, you can't be a disciple maker if you alone aren't being a disciple. And so help us. And, and in these next moments as we sing, help us to acknowledge areas in our hearts where we need to work on these things maybe there's some things in these five that that we just need to work on I just pray that you would just show us what those things are and God give us the courage to ask people around us like how can I make this better how, how can I be more immediate in this area and we're going to